And it was really based off of my love that I had back in the day for downhill skiing. It's like, how can you go and build a whole downhill ski experience, but build the village experience and then just be able to stay right alongside the trail, ride in, ride out, ski in, ski out, and be able to go to a restaurant, get a beer, and then go to bed and do it all over again. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blom. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. We are dropping the first Thursday bonus show of 2023, featuring Aaron Houtla of Cuyuna Adventure Town, USA. During this conversation, we go deep on all things winter and fat biking that can be found in the Cuyuna Lakes region of northern Minnesota. You may have also noticed a new website for Trail Effect that was recently launched, www.traileffectpodcast.com, with effect spelled E-A-F-F-E-C-T. Take a look around and provide some feedback if you so desire. This is a plug-and-play website of sorts via PodPage, as I am definitely not savvy in the web design world. And I am thankful that podcasts have gotten popular enough for a company to build a website service entirely based on the podcast industry. I'd like to take a moment to thank all the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with taking Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped a lot more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. I'd also like to thank everyone who has signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.traileffectpodcast.com. Now on to the Trail Effect with Aaron Houtla. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Aaron Houtala. He's a pretty good guy from the Cuyuna Adventure Town, USA. Uh, he's he's been involved with Cuyuna pretty much since day one, and and he's been pushing pushing everything Cuyuna on Cuyuna.com. And he's got all your winter reports, and that's what we're here to talk about today, right? Winter. How's it going today? It's good. It's kind of cold. It's not too windy. We didn't get knocked out by snow, which is kind of okay, even though we're talking about winter grooming. But yeah, it's winter and we're grateful for it. It looks official. Well, the winter that we're referring to is what they forecasted, which would have been a lot worse than what it is. So that's, that is a good thing. True. Yeah, we would have had a lot of the trees laying down on the trail again. And we like when our trees stand up. They just look better that way. Yeah. Well, let's get into kind of a high level picture of what Cayuna is in the winter from a fat biking perspective. And then also snowshoeing and all the other stuff you guys lean into during these winter months? Yeah, great question. I mean, Cuyuna, when it's at full capacity, which currently today, you know, December 23rd or so, it is it is not at full capacity because a lot of trees did fall down, probably at half capacity, which would be about 20 miles of single track that's groomed right now. And, you know, the big units that usually get groomed first. So if you're coming to Cuyuna and you're it just snowed. Yaki is the one unit that usually gets groomed first. It's because there's a DNR campground called the Yurts there. 
So the DNR likes to put emphasis where their overnight guests are, which is really convenient for me because I live close to there too, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> and then the the Sagamore unit is a new unit that's coming on board, and it's going to be it's it's wider groomed trail because it's our adaptive trail. The Sagamore Forest is amazingly beautiful. And I was always told that by the DNR. They said, just you wait, Aaron. When we do Sagamore, you're going to be impressed. You'll no longer love Yaki so much. They were right. I still love Yaki, but the Sagamore Forest is just an incredible place to go fat biking. And for folks who are going to do it the first time, I would suggest Sagamore being their first place to go. Because the trails are wider. They're not quite on the edge of glory, as I call it, on the edge of an overburdened pile. And there'll be a little less fear factor and a little more enjoyment. So that's really cool. All in all, when we are at full capacity, which again, we're currently not, but it's a 40 miles of groomed single track, which is amazing. It was the goal going back 10, 12 years ago when we first started grooming to say, how do we create a footprint, a network in the winter that creates one big loop again? So you're not just going out somewhere and you can't get back but creates a big loop and provides enough riding for in 40 miles, well more than one day of riding. And then in addition, you asked about snowshoeing. We still have, and snowshoeing is a little more on your own where people who know can go, but there's 30 miles of snowshoeing that you can do. And that's a little bit, you know, that's a, you can snowshoe on any groomed single track trail, of course, but there's single track we're not going to groom. And we ask the snowshoers, well, if you want to go do that, go do it. Go do the whole North Monoman unit. It's all yours. Go do Cruiser's Kettle. It's an eight-mile loop. It's all yours. And if they do it, <laughs> here's the secret. If they do it and keep doing it and it gets really solid, then eventually you can fat bike on it, <laughs> which is like old school winter groom single track because it's as wide as two snowshoes. And it is like technical groom single track, which I love. Not everyone does. Some people don't think that's fun because it's sketchy. You got to be really tight and you got to stay on the trail. And if you don't, you're upsides down in the snowbank. And that's kind of fun. But yeah, the really trying to build out a whole winter program. And then the whole Cutting Lake State Trail also gets groomed. And so people who just want a more of a, it's not flat, but it's a whole lot flatter than our overburden piles. They can actually Nordic ski on it. And I've seen it quite a bit. And then on Kanye.com, if people love Nordic skiing, which it seems quite a bit of people do, we have Larson Lake, we have Wolf Lake, we have three to four other cross-country Nordic ski hubs all around Cuyuna, which we <laughs> tell people because that's a big deal. And they're pretty cool too. So that's that's kind of the whole winter program. And it was really based off of my love that I had back in the day for downhill skiing. It's like, how can you go? And build a whole downhill ski experience, but build the village experience and then just be able to stay right alongside the trail, ride in, ride out, ski in, ski out, and be able to go to a restaurant, get a beer, and then go to bed and do it all over again. And 12 years in now, it's like, we got, we're going, we're doing it. It's not easy. Anyone who tells you the grooming will tell you it's not easy. <laughs> it's not perfected. It's not simple. Yeah. Well, let's go into like some of your winter guidelines, because I think, you know, there's, we want to make sure that the effort that goes into grooming, which as you just said, is a lot of effort. I do, I have done a lot of grooming where I live and know that it's very difficult. It's actually some of the most strenuous trail work you could do. Yes. So let's talk about what the guidelines are. And then this infamous orange cone. That orange cone of doom. 
Someday I hope that orange cone turns into a sign that tells somebody something. But until then, the orange cone. Well, rule number one on the trails, which not everybody likes, but we ask for people to follow it, is don't walk on it. And the reason why if you walk on it with your shoes or boots, you can't displace your weight. And that groom pack isn't strong enough to stand up to, say, myself at 230 pounds of awesome. It, I just go right through and now all of a sudden I got a footprint every step I take. So whoever's riding behind me now has the mogul field or potholes and the entire experience is trashed. It's kind of the same experience in the Nordic ski world. Well, don't ski right in their groomed trail because you, you will destroy it. Honestly, it's become a lot better here because there's so many other trails now that people can walk on because they can walk on the Kind Lake State Trail. That's where we want them to walk. <laughs> and then what's the other one? Okay, you can snowshoe any one of them. And we actually like that you do. So calling all snowshoers in North America, please come to Cuyuna and Snowshoe always. Make it your home away from home because we love you. Because <laughs> you actually do a great job too, in addition to our mechanized grooming. And I, it's actually fun to see how many people come to snowshoe and just get in the backwoods and have the time of their life just going for a walk. And it's really sweet to see. And then that orange cone you talk about the orange cone is supposed to tell everybody that the trail's closed. I don't know if I missed school that day when we went over the orange cone and that meant trail closed, but in Cuyuna, <laughs> orange cone is to tell everybody, hey, that trail's closed. And why it's closed is because it was most likely just groomed. And when we go over our trails with our mechanized grooming, basically what happens first is it gets all, the snow all gets grinded up. And we're, this sounds really fun, but pretend you're an ant. And if you're getting in the snow, when the thing goes over you, the groomer actually like breaks apart the snowflakes and jams it into each other. And that's what in time, will bind and create a hard pack. However, under most circumstances, if you were to go after somebody, like even an hour or two or maybe eight hours after someone groomed, it's still fluffy. <laughs> and you might actually just leave a fat tire rut right in the middle of it. And then later, if it actually did set up, well, now that's stuck there. So we ask for people until the crew, I think like mountain bike crew kind of puts out the trail update which they do. They do a great job of. If you ever want to see the trail conditions update, go to Cuyuna.com, scroll to the bottom of any page. That's the wisdom from the crew and check it out. Once that trail has a time to set, which is usually an overnight period, then usually, but not always because it's winter, it's hard enough to ride on. Now let's talk about tire pressure. Because if you weren't already lost with all the complications of winter fat biking, let's make it harder. It's tire pressure early in the season when we're just trying to get a solid pack. You have to go with a tire pressure that seems like it's out of this world. Like what, it four PSI, two PSI? I mean, what could that actually do? How's that even going to hold you up? Well, it does because the fat tire is fat. But that low PSI allows the tire to actually get wider and softer so it can displace you the person and you the bicycle so that it doesn't cut into the trail think of a pizza cutter the more air you put in the tire the more sharp that tire is and the more chance of it cutting into this groomed snowflake concrete <laughs> we got that we're actually playing on so yeah in the beginning anyone coming to Cayuna in december or even early january 
it's not rock and roll fast yet. And I'm not saying don't come. I said, just don't come expecting your 12 mile an hour average. Because it's it's a little harder in the beginning. You have lower PSI. You might not be out there for miles per hour. You might want to focus on smiles per hour. You know, but eventually, and it's all contingent on Mother Nature, which if any of you know how to control her, I will read the book, but we don't because she throws curveballs at you for weather. But it's working with what nature gives you. It's ideally grooming before the moisture and the snow, snow is gone. And if you can do that consistently, eventually, eventually you can get to a hard pack that is so solid, you might start to rival your summer speeds on. And that's what we call rock and roll winter fast biking. <laughs> and it's kind of like Haley's Comet. It's only here for a weekend, <laughs> you know, because it's so weather contingent. But when it happens and when you can go 10 to 12 miles an hour on average on groomed single track, it's an experience that is every bit as awesome as skiing a glade in Vail. It is. It's, you know, I've experienced that. And it's like you said, it's rare. It's a usually once or twice a year type of thing. And, and kind of, and back to the tire pressure thing quick, like, you know, when I first started fat biking, you couldn't wrap your head around. If I can push my palm to the rim, that's probably a good tire pressure. Squishy. You know, but it also depends on just so people know, you know, we have different widths of tire that make up a fat tire. You know, anywhere from like a 3.8 inch wide tire up to like a a 4.8 inch wide tire. And if you got that, if you got that really fat 4.8, you can go really low on that pressure. And it's kind of incredible how it is. Yeah. The wider, the better (laughs) in winter. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you actually learn it. I mean, it's like, if you've never done it, what we recommend is go to a Red Raven, go to Sickle. And even if it's your own bike, just go in and say, hey, you know the trail conditions today. How does this feel? And what they'll do is come up to your tire and give it a squeeze <laughs> with their hand. And they'll go, ooh, I got to take a little air out of there. <laughs> but it's such a feeling thing. And over the years, you just know. I mean, like, I never measure my PSI. I don't. I just know how to squeeze it. I'm like, oh, this will be fine today. But that's after 12 years of trial and error, you know. If you want to, you know, get the quicker advanced course just go to a bike shop and they'll help you and we definitely recommend that even if it's your own bike they're not going to shame anybody they want the trails to be safe you know conditions are everything they're economic trails too and the more that they're better the more it's better for us well you said 12 years so let's geek out a little bit on yeah on the grooming side of things because before i hit record you talked about how you really kind of got the ball rolling for grooming up in your neighborhood. I got the ball rolling for grooming in my neighborhood, although it was a little bit later than, than your stuff. But let's talk about, you know, how that's evolved and what, you know, how it came to be. Well, in the beginning, it was pretty much just the Sagamore unit, which isn't the Sagamore unit it is today. It was, uh, it was just trails that the DNR and bless their hearts, they innovated and they advocated for it to happen that they kind of mapped out and they were trails and we groomed with a snowmobile and a drag wasn't really a drag for fat biking trails yet because they weren't really around quite yet and we didn't know really much about anything let's be honest the first whiteout race we had we had eight inches of snow that week so we groomed it once and thought that would set up well, <laughs> when all the racers hit the the actual groom part, all you saw was snow dust because everyone wiped out and hit each other. And from there, it was called the Yeti Hike-A-Bike, which still lives in 
I think like people who did it still have a badge of honor that they could finish that thing. And then it transitioned to over in the Yaki unit. We were able to do a pilot program because back in the day, we have to go way back, like 12 years ago. There was no appetite really with the state to allow groom single track on single track because it was deemed too scary, too risky, too too much fun, I thought. But, <laughs> you know, but there was no, we, we can't do that. And we worked with the DNR for a year and said, well, what if we just do a pilot program? We'll see how it goes and we'll measure it. We'll do assessments. We'll make sure it's safe. And we did that for one winter. And then the next winter, we're able to launch the Yaki unit for fat bike riding. But that whole Yaki unit had to be groomed by snowshoers. Now enter the snow zombies. <laughs> Meredith, Bonnie, Liz, these three bold women. <laughs> Basically, we we're all younger then, so everything seemed like a great idea. But they were they were on the hook to groom probably like six to eight miles of single track in the Yaki unit. And Joel Hartman joined the unit and the snows. And we would go out there late at night. And this isn't snowshoeing, like taking walks and, oh, it's so pretty. No, this is like stomping your feet into the ground like you hate your feet. You're just boom, boom, boom. Because you have to get those little snowflakes to break apart and bind. And there was like mentorships on how to stomp hard and how to stomp right. And I did it one time and I'm like, you guys are the strongest most dedicated humans in the world I've ever met. We need to find a new program. <laughs> how are we ever going to? Because back then it was like, in my mind, I'm like, how do we have 40 to 70 miles of groom single track? We're not going to do it through snowshoeing. But if it wasn't for the snow zombies, we would have never got to the opportunity to even have mechanical grooming because we would never would have proved to the DNR that people actually wanted to do it. So I think it was the second year of the whiteout we had a, we just had, might have had a night ride in the Yaki unit. And that for the DNR was like, okay, so now you're on groomed single track. Now you're doing it in the night. You guys are, well, the word was knuckleheads that was used, which I'm a pretty good guy. And I'm also a knucklehead, I guess. But <laughs> then we invited the public. Well, like who wants to come? Well, about 50 to 70 people wanted to. <laughs> so it doesn't sound like much, but this was in the infancy of it. And then it proved to the state that, hey, this could be something. And to their credit, they continued to work with us and say, let's find a way. It was never yes right away, but it was like, let's find a way. How do we do this to ensure it's safe, ensure quality, ensure that it's excellent? And then it turned into, okay, we need something to groom this trail. We had a Rokon, but it was deemed unsafe, which it was. It, on our trails, it was unsafe. We're not flat. We have very nice fall lines. They're some hundreds of feet downhill if you let the Rokon go down bye-bye. And that's a very heavy thing. So, you know, there was a lot of issues with safety. So the Rokon wasn't going to be allowed. It was just state said no. And when the state says no, no, they mean it. You don't, you know, you don't find a way there. So we had to come up with a completely different thing. And this is where Joshua Rebenak gets the naming credit for the Joshua 2000. It was basically... um I think it was called a track sled, but it was what ice fishermen used to pull themselves out to their fishing house. And it's basically a snowmobile track with a motor on top and a handle. And the fishermen would sit in their, in their sled and pull themselves out to their ice house so they could actually fish, which made a lot of sense for fishing. They still use it for fishing. And Joshua said, hey, why couldn't that work for grooming? 
And we said, well, of course it could work. Why couldn't it work? And we worked with this company and we thought we knew what to tell them. And we thought we were really smart and we kind of drew it up for them and said, build it like this. And they did and they delivered it. And the Joshua 2000 on its first run got to the first corner and went right off the trail down the hill. (laughs) Because basically it was way too tall. It was way too top heavy. And you have to remember in the winter, the fall line wins if you have no way to articulate your base. And that the initial track sled really didn't. There was major renovations done to the track sled through the first year. It actually groomed. It continued to push the program forward. There was conversation of killing the winter program and just letting it go. And then I basically said, did the first spaceship or rocket get to the moon? Nope. I remember a lot of them just fell over and (laughs) didn't go anywhere. I said, this is that. It cost money. It failed miserably. Let's keep going. And we then we found other companies that had similar tools and we were able to collaborate with them. And through each generation, I don't think it's called the Joshua 2022 yet or something, but it continues to get better, but it's still not perfect. It's, it's a very difficult thing to groom single track. The big news of this winter is that Luke Lundquist, who owns Sickle, bike shop in Ironton and Hudson, the coffee shop in Ironton. He's an engineer and he's amazingly smart. And he took it upon himself to engineer the next evolution of the single track groomer. And if anyone could figure it out, I will put my money on Luke. And he is working to make it more easy and more safe so that groomers don't have to be bodybuilders in order to be able to use this thing and that it's more safe and more fun and more people want to do it. So we looked to Luke Lundquist as our champion to bring our grooming even to the next level, if possible. (laughs) And then we also, at the same time, started to build some trails wider, knowing that we needed to groom them in the winter, which allow our snowmobile and now second snowmobile, courtesy of a grant through the IRRR, to groom via snowmobile and a drag. And that is a little less intense, but those snowmobile riders will tell you firsthand, it is not an easy ride with a snowmobile either, especially if you take the corner a little sharp and the drag goes down the fall line. Winter grooming is is tough. Any groomer will tell you that it's a workout and they have to be very in shape and it's not something you can just do. We want to make it more simple and simple, but it's currently still a challenge. But we're only in year 12. Imagine the first snowmobile 12 years and probably didn't look like the current one either. Yeah. And and the reality is with grooming, like stomping with snowshoes, you're not out there going at anything faster than like a super slow pace because you're, you're trying to compact and break apart and do exactly what you said. So it's not like, oh, I'm going to be a groomer and hop on a snowmobile and ride a snowmobile around the trail system for fun. No. No, it's it, it's it's exactly the same as the groomers for the snowmobile trails or the ski trails. You know, it's the same exact philosophy. It's just the difference is like a snowmobile trail is like a highway, has some curves. And if you're doing winter grooming for single track, it's like getting on, on top of a roller coaster, except there's no sides <laughs> and there's no real rail, but have fun. Yeah. I remember it would have been... Uh... December of 2017, 
that I got a call from a friend who lived in River Falls, and he said, hey, I, I just saw this track sled thing out in front of this this uh, implement lawn implement dealership up here. That might work for grooming for you guys down there. And that was right after the Snow Dog got imported yeah. from, I think, Russia. <laughs> and so I literally, like, I, I, I talked to our club leadership and I'm like, hey, we've been talking about Rokans and all this other stuff. We know we can't fit a snowmobile on our single track. I think this thing will work. This is what it costs. We'd raise the money in, I think, three days or less. I went up and bought the mm-hmm. thing, drove it back to lacrosse, and then that night took it out on the trails for the first time. And I had no idea how to operate this thing. And our trails in lacrosse right. are, I mean, it's steep, it's super hilly, it's the driftless area. You know, we got 550 feet of vert. And I took this thing down the first trail and it started veering off one way. And I was like, oh shit, I don't know if this thing's going to work or not. Yep. I'd never do it. Nobody had done anything with it. It was a full on experiment. Yep. We all were in the same spot. <laughs> yeah. We worked with it and it's, you know, we haven't done a ton of modifications of that thing, but it's, it's been modified some and it's still running today. Probably maybe literally. Yeah. But yeah. That's, I, I remember sweating so much and working so hard <laughs> and where we live, I remember one year it was negative, whatever, blowing winds. And we're out there grooming and then we get it all ready to go. And four days later, it was 40 and raining. And I was just like, there you go. There goes Sucker your, there goes everything. Yep. It's a very fickle thing. Obviously you guys have a uh, more standard winter conditions than we do. Cause you're much more no- North than I am, you know, but it's, it could still rain up there. Um, and that's when stuff it's gets supposed dicey. To next week. It's supposed to rain next week, 40 degrees and rain and. The good news is if you have the pack down and it rains, well, then you just need the 45 North studded tires and life will be fine. But <laughs> I was just going to go there. And I didn't have that as a topic. studded tires. Yeah. <laughs> you want to go to studded? Yeah, let's, let's go. Quick go to studded tires. Cause I think people, you know, for those, especially that aren't familiar with, with fat biking, they might get a, a kick out of this because it, it does change the dynamic a ton. Yeah. Well, studded tires for me, I just, it's default setting, you know, whether there's ice or not, there's ice somewhere. And if you don't have studs in your tires, when you find it, laying down happens fast and it hurts like heck because ice is so fast. You will be on your hip before you even knew what happened and you're just laying there and you're confused. And that kind of got old. (laughs) So, I mean, I just studded tires. It's mandatory for me. I mean, I would encourage anybody. It's just worth the investment. You know, like they sell supplemental health insurance all over the place. Studded tires are your supplemental health insurance if you're going to ride this bike. If you're going to buy a bike and ride it a week, once a week or two to the whatever, just get it. They're incredibly good. It's not foolproof. It doesn't mean you will never fall ever again on ice. You will, <laughs> but your chances are less likely, you know. And I, like I said before, 45 North is what I ride. I don't know all the other ones. I've only had 45 North ones, but I know they're studs from back to the first one to this one are like completely different they are like the ones i have now when i ride on ice it sounds like a monster truck (laughs) it's just like it's so cool and you you can just do things that you normally couldn't but that's how you make winter amazing because if we're gonna have winter for 10 and a half months we better make sure we know how to do it right and that's what it's all about and I guarantee you, it's like the parking lots are always icy. Like the trails could, you read the trail report and it's like perfect groom, no ice. 
you get to the parking lot, glare ice, death bed, you know, so having studs, I highly encourage it. People can do what they want. And some people are like, oh, they add weight. But honestly, what is it, grams? I mean, if I I could lose like 30, 50 pounds myself, I'm not going to worry about a couple grams. Safety first, people. Safety first. And I have to do this to my brain every year for winter is you just got to, you got to slow your thinking down because you're slow, not maybe slow your thinking down, slow down your perception of what life is in the winter with riding, because it's just, it's just not the same. Like you had mentioned early on, there is that magical time where things can get really fast, but for the most part, especially early on, it's just slower and we're there to have fun. We're there to get a workout. It's, you're going to get all that. Yeah. Do you have any tips for people in terms of like layering for how to dress or what, you know, some cold weather tips as far as like what to wear, what to, what to expect? That's so tricky. Cause I, I see people come out in full snowmobile suits, <laughs> like you know, like the snowmobile helmet and the goggles. And I'm like, how in the world can you wear all that? And maybe it's fine. Maybe they don't heat up like I do. But if you're a hot body, <laughs> if you get going and you start sweating, I mean, you don't want too much clothing on. I'll start with like, basically you walk outside, you wear whatever you think you're going to wear. And if you feel cold, like I'm going to be cold, that's probably good. If you walk outside and go, man, I'm warm, you're going to (laughs) die. You're going to be overly warm. And I start off with just basically a thin layer shirt, like a merino wool shirt. And then I don't know what's wrong with my legs, but I just wear knee warmers. And then I wear the tights. That's it. And usually as long as it's not 5 million below, it's okay. But with those knee warmers and I wear knee high socks. So basically from my knee to my toe is covered in another layer underneath that tight. And that's important. I guess 45 North taught me this too. They taught me that keeping the lower leg warm is essential for keeping your toes warm because they're basically it's irrigation. (laughs) You know, your blood's moving through the whole thing. And if you're not warm from there down, that's why your toes might be getting cold. And then upstairs, I I wear that merino wool. And then I usually put on one more, one thicker layer, like a Under Armour type thicker layer, not too bulky, then a winter jersey. And then depending on how cold it is, a vest, wind vest or a winter vest. And again, it's if needed, I'll put arm warmers underneath everything, but I try to be as light as possible because the last thing i want to do is get overly sweaty and then stop and then uh oh you're in trouble if you are overly sweaty and stop in the winter and with that i encourage people to solo riding is fun it's cool it's an adventure but in the winter ride with a buddy because yeah you think you'd never get hurt it's snowy i'll be fine i hope you are but if you if you ever got hurt and couldn't get out Winter isn't going to be kind to you. It will take you out, (laughs) basically. So riding with a friend is essential because, yeah, you might have a cell phone, but there's a chance when you go to use it, it dies because the battery is no longer functional because it's so cold. I mean, I always put the cell phone right on my chest to keep it warm, but you can't guarantee that's going to work. You know, ride with someone else. It's the smartest thing you could do in the winter. Not trying to scare people, but it's just I've ridden by myself and I'm like, what happened if, you know, you're 12 miles out there and it's like, this isn't really smart. (laughs) Summer, it doesn't matter, but winter, get a friend. 
Yeah. And at the very least, if you don't have a friend that can go out with you, you know, there are different services, even Strava has it where you can turn on a tracker and have yeah. someone, you know, know that you have the tracker on. And if you're sitting still for an extended yeah. period of time, that might raise a red flag for that person who, who's got that tracker for you. Yeah. And, and like you said, put that cell phone close to you because I've had the battery die, but if you bring it, you know, into your, into your body heat, you'll, you'll be good to go. Yeah. Yeah. I, either I keep it right by my chest or right on my back. And both areas are heat monsters, it seems. But yeah, it's just dress, underdress, but don't underdress. There, the whole industry of fat biking is unfriendly to learning. <laughs> it's just like, it's the hardest possible thing. It is not simple. I wish it were. I wish there was a... It's not a lot different than XC skiing either, because it's the same thing. You want to go out and feel cold, but you're going there to get a workout. Like you, when you get a workout, you're going to get hot. It's one thing to wear a snowmobile suit because you're on a snowmobile and you're going 80 miles an hour and you're not pedaling your legs and, and everything you're doing, right. but you know, riding a bike or cross-country skiing or even snowshoeing, you know, it's a, it's a workout, you know, and you're going to warm up. Yep. And covering your ears is usually important, isn't it? Covering yeah. your ears and your, your chin and your nose. And it's really tough. Like I remember when you start off riding, you kind of have to cover your mouth and ride with uh, a covering over your mouth because the air can be so cold that your lungs kind of get not great. And I remember that we were doing that. And then that's when COVID came out and then people were complaining about having to wear a mask and how do you do anything? And I'm like, <laughs> Hey, we're kind of good at this already. <laughs> you know, it was like, but yeah, all that stuff matters. Cause you're, I remember like losing feeling completely on my nose. I'm like, am I supposed to not feel it anymore? Is that good? I think I should feel it at least. And one year I froze my ears so many times, but it's, once you get used to it, though, it's like what, what you wear in December will be different than what you wear at the end of January because your body builds up kind of a resistance to it as well, it seems. Yeah, it does adapt. It's good winter fun. Good winter fun. What is, speaking of winter fun, what do you got for events going on in the winter up there in Cayena? You have, I think you have at least one, one fat bike event. Is it, is it still the whiteout? The whiteout, I don't think, is coming back yet. It, that got kind of retired a couple years back, and I don't know that it's coming back or not yet. So I think a lot of it is ride. And then what I always say is sauna. That's our event. <laughs> Make sure you stay at a place where you can get a sauna. And the cool part now is there's a company called Cayuna Sauna where it doesn't matter where you stay, they'll bring the sauna to you. <laughs> so it's like, Red Rider has a sauna, Cayuna Cove has a sauna, and you can stay anywhere else. And now Cayuna Sauna can bring you your sauna. And I'd, I have to say that because I'm finished. And if I didn't bring that up in a winter report, I would have hate mail, you know, say, well, how could you not bring up the sauna? That's essential. But it really is. It's like, go for a ride, take a sauna after. And then at, when you're taking a sauna, it could be 20 below and you can stand outside the sauna and look at a sky full of stars and for that moment you don't feel cold at all it's just like winter excellence and yeah i, I recommend that quite a bit and then there's it, like I, I can't think of events per se but it's like our downtown is so much more full than it was 12 years ago from restaurants or brewery or cocktail bar or even shopping now shopping we're gonna have shopping <laughs> it's pretty sweet yoga i mean it's amazing what has grown here locally and that's that I'm not worried anymore about, okay, there's something to do on the trail, but after that, well, 
you're no, you no longer have that problem. There's so many adventures in town now that you can enjoy, including a donut shop. Have you been to our donut shop yet, Mac Daddies? I haven't been to your donut shop. Oh my goodness. I go out, I have a lot of meetings for my paying job, and I bring those donuts to all these meetings, and every meeting goes better if I bring Mac Daddies. <laughs> every single one of them. They're just like glorious donuts. They're like way over the top. Like you look at kids when they look at them, they stop. They can't even think. They just start vibrating because they got so much goodness packed onto them. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> well, it's incredible to think that, you know, all of this has brought, it means that you don't have to go to the big city to get these amenities, right? Right. We don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of nice. It's before when it started, it was like, well, we got to go all over the place to do whatever. And now it's like, we have a lot of it here. And that was the goal. I mean, that wasn't an accident. It was how do we turn outdoor recreation into economic development? And we knew we had to do it on the trails first. The trails had to be of excellence because if they're not, nobody comes. If nobody comes. Businesses really don't want to hang out because they can't. So we really focused on that in the summer. And that's when we transitioned to the winter because we're like, well, if it's just seasonal, like June, July, August, who's going to invest anything into three months of wow, you know, and that's why when the winter program came on board, it was like November of 2021, the DNR, Steve Weber came to us and said, Hey, what do you think about doing winter fat biking? That was the question that Not November of 2021, future. it had to have been further than that. November 2011. 2011. Thank you. Yeah. 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 I was going to say 2021 was only two years ago. No, it was 2011. And the DNR brought it to our table. They advocated for it and they maybe didn't see where we'd go with it, you know, now, but they definitely are embracing it and helping it and advocating for it. And it's, it's a driver. It definitely creates a whole different vibe. And again, we want to build out that Nordic skiing, cross country skiing, snowshoeing, even ice fishing. It's pretty cool to go out ice fishing and just catch trout. <laughs> Even lake trout. We have lake trout in these Cuyuna mine lakes. Do you know that? Like lakers. And they are hard to catch. Let me tell you that. I haven't caught one yet, but that's my favorite fish. And I can't believe I have that in my backyard too. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing to think that there's a couple Minnesota companies that have really helped push this along too, like 45 North and Surly. Surly, especially with the with the original Pugsley. You know, that was yeah. kind of the, that was uh, people might, I might be wrong on this, but that from what I can remember, right. it's pretty much the original mass-produced fat bike. Pugsley and uh, the Salsa was yeah. right there with them with the Bear Grease not too far after it. Yep, and the and those were the first. It was the Pugsley, the Mucklock, and the Moonlander were the three first fat bikes on Cuyuna. You know, that was there was there wasn't a lot of them. Getting a Moonlander the first year was like pulling teeth. It was like everything was so hard to get and it, that was way before COVID. it was just fat biking was a new thing everybody wanted one and sales were hard to get and then it grew and grew and grew yeah but without qbp and their winter focused brands you're right it i don't think it would have worked because at some point if you don't have any warm clothing it runs out of fun you know yeah. if your feet are always freezing it's no longer fun or back back in the first year it was there was no tire really for winter I mean, there. I had like the big fat Larry or whatever it was, and it was a great summer tire, but on the fall lines in winter, they really didn't carve at all. So you just whoo, go right off the trail. And then Bud and Lou came out, and then the Dillingers came out, and then 45 Norris tires now with the, just these knobby, grippy. I mean, they're 
they're what you want. It's amazing. It's 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 come so far in a decade. It really feels like we we're on the front end of an entire industry being birthed, and we just got to sit in a a front chair with so many other groups and like, okay, let's go, <laughs> let's make this happen. Yeah, and they proved to the industry that you know it was a viable activity with because now pretty much every major brand has a fat bike in their line. Yeah, they do. And then people realize yeah, that you can do. take them on sand and other stuff too. So there's also fat bike worlds down in North Carolina, which is all beach riding. Definitely not cold. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Dif- not to be confused with the other fat bike world that I think is in- back in Hudson, Wisconsin again this year. They're all over the... Yeah. I can't keep up to all those things. For sure. <laughs> well, Aaron, do you have any closing comments or any words of wisdom or anything we didn't cover that you'd like to cover before we uh, close this one out? Well, I just think, number one, thank you to the DNR and the Canyon Lakes Mountain Bike Crew for everything they do. Otherwise, we have nothing to talk about today. Uh, it's essential we advocate and champion for them and help them and fund them or whatever we need to do. Volunteer with them. That's that's essential. And then if people listening are like, well, that sounds actually kind of fun. I'd like to hear more about that. Cuyuna.com is the place to go. And you spell that C-U-Y-U-N-A, Cuyuna.com. And we have the whole winter program up along with routes for fat biking or snowshoeing or where to lodge, ride in, ride out lodging. It's pretty cool. I like where I live. It's pretty good. But all in all, if you're a volunteer out there doing the same thing, God bless you. Thank you. Um, Let's keep pushing it. If there's anything we can own in this region, it's winter. So let's be champions. Yeah, especially as we record this one today. No kidding. Have a great blizzard. <laughs> no kidding. Well, Aaron, I, I really appreciate your time with this and and really kind of letting the rest of the listeners of the Trail Effect podcast know what it's like to to live where we live and do winter riding and enjoy what we enjoy in the winter. Yeah. Thank you for having us. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. Next week, we'll be turning the heat back up by featuring Tara Alcantara of Homegrown MTB in Tucson, Arizona. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you are new to the Trail Effect Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect Podcast. I'd also like to thank all the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. With that, the value for value concept is something that has caught my attention. If you find value in the Trail Effect podcast, you now have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for Trail Effect. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature in Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.